You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. On this Wednesday, December 6th, we're talking White Sox baseball today with Scott Merkin, our White Sox reporter for MLB.com. Scott, thank you for the time. A lot to uh, get to today. Let's start off with a guy that's uh, not going to be playing for the White Sox in 2018, as well as 22 other teams in baseball that, of course, being a Shohei Otani. As we talk, he has uh, narrowed his list down to seven teams. And again, the White Sox uh, not on that list of seven. So, Scott, I know that, you know, certain teams felt they had a really good shot at, you know, at least uh, convincing Otani to be on that list of seven teams that he would play for. Other teams kind of felt, you know, we're a long shot. And if he has interest in us, it would be, you know, it would be interesting because we really don't think we have a shot at this guy. On that scale, where do the White Sox fall in terms of, you know, the likelihood that they could have, uh, you know, had this guy on their team next year? I think the White Sox consider themselves sort of an optimistic long shot in that group. You know, where I, I, it appears with uh, with Otani that the money is not an issue because there are certain teams that are you know restricted to like three hundred thousand dollars because of the international free agent rules. But I think that was part of it, and the Sox just kind of felt like going in. You know, they were they were a long shot in the process, but. And talking to, you know, that was from general manager Rick Hunt and talking to executive vice president Ken Williams, which I did earlier this week. You know, he was very pleased with the, the pitch or whatever, I guess the questionnaire they had to answer or whatever the, the initial procedure was put together by the White Sox organization. And he said, you know, while not angry about it, he was disappointed that they didn't get to make the in-person pitch and, you know, try and show them the plan they had for him going forward in terms of, you know, position player and pitching and just being a fit of this great rebuild they're putting together. So, I don't think they were stunned, but I would guess I would say, you know, disappointed they did not get that in-face meeting, in-person meeting, face-to-face meeting, as I was trying to say. I combined two phrases there um, <laughs> with Otani to try and convince him to come to the White Sox. And that's the reaction I'm getting from a lot of teams, a lot of reporters uh, for the teams. They're saying that, you know what, we, you know, we're competing with 29 other teams, but to not have a chance at that face-to-face presentation – that, I think, was the most disappointing part, as you just uh, reiterated from the White Sox perspective. And, Scott, I want to get uh, you know your take on Otani. I'm, I'm asking pretty much everybody, but you hear so much hype about this guy, you know, the triple-digit fastball and the, the power from the left side of the play. He can he could do it all, and he, you know, he might be uh, a breakthrough superstar. Are you completely buying into the hype, or do you think that maybe it's a tad overblown at this point? Well, you know, I'm buying into the hype, but I think any player who comes to a new atmosphere, you know, forget just a new team and a new league, but a new country is going to have a little bit of adjustment. That It just goes without saying. You know, I mean, you look at a guy like Jose Abreu who kind of, you know, had a, had a very brief adjustment his first year after coming over from Cuba, like about two weeks, and then ended up setting like a rookie record for most home runs in April. But, you know, I talked to uh, Ken Williams again about this, and I asked him, you know, he watched a lot of video of him, and I said, did the hype meet the, you know, what you saw? And he just kind of, you know, paused for a second and then said yes. So I, I trust his evaluation skills there. And I also think it's great that there's going to be a guy who's going to kind of test the boundaries. And, you know, I, I remember doing a story years ago on a, a player named Brooks Kieschnick. It was like 2002. He pitched for, he played for AAA Charlotte, the White Sox AAA affiliate. And he pitched out of the bullpen and also, you know, play, you know, hit for that team too. And I think it's just going to be great to see how this young man, he, he seems like he's got a very clear focus judging by the recruitment process on what he wants and what he needs to be successful. And I think it's going to be great just to see how wherever he ends up, just to see how he develops and how, you know, they, the team and 
him work this out to be a pitcher and a hitter at the same time. It's going to be fascinating to see how teams, uh, you know, or team, he's going to play for one team, uh, deploys yeah. <laughs> him. <laughs> you know, if he needs I think other play. teams, I think teams would go with that sharing process. <laughs> they probably maybe, would, right? Maybe he, maybe if he came to the Cubs, he pitched for the Sox and yeah. hit for the Cubs or something like that. You know, just bounce from team to team every couple of weeks or every couple of months, whatever deal they want to work out. He's he's too exactly. much of a talent to be restricted to one team. Am I right? Exactly. <laughs> I, we might we might have struck something there, man. I think yeah, I think we're onto something. We got to present this to the commissioner and see if we can roll with it. But uh, <laughs> whatever the case, uh, whatever it ends up being, it's going to be uh, very fascinating to to see uh, how he is deployed in the pitching and hitting realms and. Uh, it's, it's going to be a, a spectacle unlike any other that uh, Major League Baseball has seen. So uh, we'll see what becomes of Shohei Otani. Scott, shifting gears here, it is entirely possible that the White Sox are going to have a Hall of Famer managing uh, their single-A ball club in Winston-Salem. Omar Vizquel has been uh, named to that post. He is, of course, on the 2018 National Hall of Fame ballot. And uh, talk about how this agreement came together to bring the multi-time Gold Glover on board as a skipper. Well, they could actually be loaded with Hall of Famers. You know, Frank Thomas already works for the organization. Uh, Jim Tomey, who's also a first ballot guy, is a special assistant to general manager Rick Hahn. Mm. And now Omar Vizquel takes over at Class A Winston-Salem. You know, Omar played for the Sox for a couple of years. He's been a coach for the Tigers for a few more years after that. They're very familiar with him. And I, I think he just fits that kind of perfect teaching mold, you know, that, that's been struck by Ricky Renteria as manager of the, the big league club. And he's going to have a lot of, uh, as I wrote in the story, going to have a lot of, you know, top prospects, at least at the start of the year, and his team there. And, yeah, he's a very confident guy. He feels like he can manage right now in the big leagues, but he's excited for this challenge. Bilingual guy, much like Ricky Renteria. So we'll be able to connect with all sorts of different prospects. And, you know, it's, it's a good move by the White Sox, who are familiar with him. Like I said, he played a couple of years. is very versatile on those teams and should be a good fit, again, in that, you know, they're, they're in that development. They're still looking – to add talent to the organization, obviously, but they had such a busy year last year and such a busy offseason last year, more, more so busy in year, but impactful offseason at the winter meetings with Sale and Eaton being traded. They're, they're looking more on the patience level and the development level this year and seeing how these guys progress and seeing where they need to kind of move in certain spots. And I think with that in mind, this is a perfect hire. You know, not that Willie Harris didn't do a great job too, but last year at Winston-Salem, but this is a perfect hire moving forward to, to kind of teach these kids. Yeah, and the buzzword these days seems to be uh, commun- communication. Uh, you know, teams want to find guys that can right. relate to the, the Latin players, as Omar obviously can. That was a big selling point with Alex Cora and the Red Sox. Again, a guy that can relate to the Latin players and had that, that uh, basis of communication. Same thing with Omar Vizquel. And, uh, Scott, I'm curious, of course, uh, Omar spent uh, two of his final three seasons as a player with the White Sox in 2010 and 2011. During those two seasons, any sort of relationships developed between Omar and anybody in the White Sox brass that perhaps, you know, paved the way a little bit for this agreement to come about where he would rejoin the organization in this uh, managerial role? I think just a high amount of respect for how he prepared himself, how he played. You know, I know that that was a guy they were interested in getting even before they brought him in. And if I remember right, you know, he was supposed to be kind of a utility guy. You know, the the quintessential backup shortstop, you know, play him a certain amount of games, get the most you can of him. But he did so well, and they had some spots that needed filling. And I remember he played a lot of games at third base this year. He played – the years he played there, he had many more bats, I think, than they originally figured when they signed him. But, you know, was was a great fit at the time. And I don't know if he developed, like, a, a lifelong bond 
with the White Sox, but I think even before they signed him, they had great respect for him, so it makes sense they'd bring him back in a managerial capacity. Yeah, it's a, it's a great fit. Uh, I know White Sox fans are excited to have him uh, back in the organization, and of course, as we said, uh, weeks from now, he could see his name or hear his name announced as uh, one of the newest inductees into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Our fingers are certainly crossed for him. Scott, as we uh, come down the home stretch here, a nice uh, free agent pickup for the Pale Hose the other day in the form of the uh, veteran catcher Wellington Castillo. He's going to be reunited with uh, Rick Renteria. The two, of course, were together on that other Chicago team, whatever their name is, uh, back in 2014, <laughs> of course, uh, with the Cubs. And uh, obviously money talks uh, with any free agent deal, but how much of an influence or an impact did that relationship with Renteria have in getting Castillo in a White Sox uniform? You know, I'm sure it had uh, uh, some impact on it. I, I think this is a guy that, you know, Rick Hahn talked about this on the conference call to announce his signing that they pursued last year but just didn't get. And, you know, it's interesting. You go back, like, what, three, four, maybe even five years, and no offense to the guys who were there, but the catching system was not very deep and not very elite in the, in the White Sox organization. Now you have a guy like Wellington Castillo, who is the perfect example of what Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams have talked about in that, you know, they said when the time is there to spend, their money to be spent. I don't think that's this year, but they're also being opportunistic. They're also looking for guys who could help now and help in the future. So you have Castillo signed for the next two years with a third-year option. I think it's uh, maybe $9 million, I want to say off the top of my head. And, you know, the, the third-year option is geared towards that's the main contending year, that 2020. It gives a guy like Zach Collins or Sebi Zavala, two of their great young catchers. Collins was a first-round draft pick, time to develop. They're, you know, they weren't going to rush him anyways, but now you know you have someone up there. And you have two pretty good catchers who had a nice year last year in uh, Omar Narvaez and Kevin Smith. The thing about Castillo that maybe was lacking a little bit is he was great throwing out base runners last year, and he had one of his best years pitch-framing-wise. So it should be interesting to see how he works with his young staff and know that he's going to have time to develop with them because you know he's here for at least the next two years. Yeah, and he is, uh, like you said, that bridge between, you know, you want uh, your guys, the pros- not prospects, but the younger guys to develop under his tutelage and be ready to inherit that full-time role when Castillo's days are done. And Castillo, you know, he's a guy you look up every year and he pops 20 over the fence. He throws out base runners. He's just a solid, solid guy. And he's in a White Sox uniform for 2018, and that can certainly only be a good thing. Scott, as we uh, wrap up this week, uh, we're taking a look back with the winter meetings beginning on Sunday at uh, previous wheelings and dealings uh, for the White Sox in winter meetings past. So, Scott, take us back to a 2007, and uh, Kenny Williams, during the winter meetings, got uh, beat up uh, by us great folks in the media a little bit for missing out on a guy that is a slam-dunk future Hall of Famer, but he would have the last laugh at the end of the ensuing season. So talk about uh, how that whole thing unfolded. I should have one more quick point on Castillo. I think Sox fans are also hoping that there was some sort of bond form with Manny Machado when he was in Baltimore. And then when Manny Machado uh, becomes a free agent next offseason, there you go. Slides right point. into the White Sox organization. <laughs> but that's that's far away, though. You know, the, the winter meetings in 07 was very interesting because they picked up Carlos Quentin to start it, and they got it for Chris Carter, who's turned out to be a pretty solid Major League Baseball player over time, too. And, you know, I don't think people knew a lot about Quentin except that he had, had great minor league numbers that hadn't translated to the majors. And by the end of that 2008 season, if he didn't hurt himself in September, he would have probably been – if not the American League MVP, one of the top two candidates, I would say, going down the stretch. But, you know, they were very interested in Miguel Cabrera. There was serious talk, as Kenny Williams described to me. They just did not have – they didn't want to take on the Dontrell Willis contract, and they didn't have the wherewithal to take on the Dontrell Willis contract. So 
Kenny, in a little bit of frustration, that's that I think it was the third day of the winter meetings, or maybe it was the second day, made the comment about this move just gives the Tigers a better chance to catch us now. And he kind of laughed when I talked to him about that the other day, that he said he got lucky on that one because everything came <laughs> together. And, you know, they won arguably one of the most exciting games in White Sox franchise history. That was the blackout game where they beat the Twins one nothing on Jim Tomey's home run. Mm. So, yeah, he said, you know, of course they would have liked to have had Cabrera. He's a franchise-changing player, as he did for the Tigers. But he, they kind of knew as much as the dialogue was serious that, you know, with the Willis contract being part of it, they weren't going to be able to add that on. Yeah, absolutely. And like you, you know, like you said, he got the last laugh that year uh, winning the AL Central. Of course, Miggy, you know, as we all know, uh, he's a future Hall of Famer. There's no question. But at least uh, for that year, Ken Williams certainly got the last laugh after uh, missing out, quote unquote, on uh, Miguel Cabrera. Scott Merkin, great stuff as always. We will do it again soon. In the meantime, Matt Waymire signing off for MLB.com Extras, Chicago White Sox.